Greetings from the Long Island Sound podcast. Welcome to the show. Please rate, review, and comment on the show. And call our listener line and leave a message for our guests. Dial 631-800-3579. All right, enjoy the show. Thanks for joining us for the Long Island Sound podcast. Each week we explore new music and dive deeper with the artists and their stories behind the music. Please subscribe and rate and review us wherever you stream this podcast. Here's your host, Steve Yusko. Today you are in for a fact-finding fun interview as we take a deep dive into the music industry with Gregory Duane. From producing punk bands in New York City to working with the likes of Amy Ray of the Indigo Girls, Marcy Gray and David Navarro, this music veteran seems to have done it all. You know, listening to his music in preparation for this broadcast, my emotions ran deep as he captured every feeling I just grappled with moments earlier. Let's see how his song grabs you as we listen to When You Say California. I don't have the heart to listen to your good news. Yeah, I don't have the strength to hear about all your opportunities. Because I don't hear my name.
The deep grace of an honest songwriter is built on the hills and valleys of life's experiences, wounds and traumas, lifelines and redemption. Today's guest must have a thousand stories to tell as all of us search for balance. Gregory Duane's self-titled debut sets him firmly as an alt-country songwriter. I can't wait to feature more of his songs as we learn about the artist behind the music. Hey, welcome to the Long Island Sound Podcast, Gregory. Hey, buddy. Thanks so much for having so me. So do I call you Gregory? Do I call you Greg? What do you prefer? Uh, uh, Greg. Greg. Greg is what I'm used to. Greg, then um, Greg it is. <laughs> yep. So, um... Thank you. We got connected actually several months ago and just working out schedules. Um, we're both patient and and I'm really happy to have you on, on the program. It's it's really great. And what yeah, I find thanks for persevering. You're like the <laughs> fifth person from Brooklyn, because you're in Brooklyn, right? Uh I am actually in Soho. Soho. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. So you're in Soho yeah. <laughs> now, but you were in Brooklyn. If you, okay. I was in Brooklyn. Right. For okay, quite so I said I said corrected. Uh, but I always find it interesting that I get all these transplants from around the country uh, that come to the center, what I call the center of the world, which is uh, New York and Brooklyn. Totally. And, uh, you know, there's so much there's so much there. But just to give a little taste of who you are and and as I dug into your background in EPK, I mean, you've you've had some life, you know, uh, it just have. I wasn't kidding. You have a thousand stories and we're going to we're going to get into just a little <laughs> bit of, of them. I think we'd have to do like five podcasts with you to, to really. <laughs> There's a lot to talk about. Really, you know, but I, mm-hmm. I think that's, a you know, as we get older, you know, we just we just have a lot of stories. But um, I I tried to tie yes. that into uh, into the introduction. So, um, anyway, um what let's start early on. What what brought you to music? Were you from a musical family, or like where'd you, where'd you pick up the interest instrument, and where did uh, the music find you? I guess is my question. Yeah, I I wasn't really from a musical family, though. My dad did have a guitar, and his family uh, do play, but they were all in Tennessee, so I wasn't really around them as much. And and uh, you know, I grew up really working class in the middle of North Carolina, very rural. Um, but I did grow up on, um, you know, uh, MTV was new when I was a kid, you know. Um, so that was pretty life-changing. And um, I first got into, I mean, the first music I was really, well, you know, I can say when I was really young, I was really into um like a, my friend and I, we had a band, you know, like as as you do in whatever fourth grade, and and basically every song we wrote sounded like Rhinestone <laughs> Cowboy. So that was the beginning. Every song had a bump bump um, in it. But then I got into uh, you know rap was very big. Um, break dancing yeah, was sure, big I when I was uh, Michael, Jack- Michael Jackson was big. Um, so I got into dancing and kind of that world as, you know, this kind of kid in the middle of the woods, which is so strange. But I had a friend, an older friend down the street and and, you know, we started break dancing and I got two turntables and a mixer and just kind of got into music that way. Um, you know, bought my first drum machine. Um, but it was pretty quick that that shifted to skateboarding. You know, sure. it's like whatever. It's almost like you know, that you have this input and you see these cool kids and you're like, I want to do what those cool kids are doing. And, 
Um, you know, and at that time, you know, things were very separated and, you know, it wasn't cool to like rap and uh, punk music right. or there was you know, no whatever. crossover. Like you had yeah. there was no crossover. You were one or the other. Uh, so you had to just shed this whatever you were and become the new thing, you know, and, right. which is fine. Like, I mean, the, the, that's how it works in some ways. Um, and so I discovered punk rock. And then by that time I was around 15 and I had a really good mohawk. <laughs> and, I got to get, um, I got to get a picture of and, that, man. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I have, I have one or two pictures, but I had this really good mohawk and I had no idea how to play any real instrument. And there was a band, a local band, and they needed a drummer. Right. And I looked the part. So <laughs> they brought me a drum set, taught me two drum beats. And within a week, we played our first show at this place called Hot Tamales that in Greensboro that was, you know, famous for everybody from Red Hot Chili Peppers to REM, oh, wow. you know, played there. It was a taco shop. You know, it was cool. Right. Like, so anyways, that was my intro. Um, and, uh, you know, you kind of fall in love when you're a kid and all of a sudden you're playing yeah, in front sure. of people. And um, and then that led to, uh, you know, I didn't I didn't really, um, you know, I wasn't very good at school or anything. So but I knew I wanted to go to like I needed to do something after mm -hmm. high school. So I ended up teaching myself to read snare drum music and um enough to like audition and get into North Carolina school oh, of the arts, which is a pretty prestigious, you know, arts right. college. Um, and, you know, needless to say, I was not prepared, but I, I did get in and I had a great year there, but I, I kind of knew I wasn't going to be a classical percussionist. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I was working also, uh, doing live sound in local clubs by the, you know, this was, I'd finally, I got through high school was still uh, dropped out of college, was living in Greensboro. And like, you know, I, I would do sound on the weekend for Hootie and the Blowfish really? at a random little club. Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> it was just that kind of thing. And that's, uh, that's kind of cool. I, I just want to go back to something because, and maybe it's my own prejudice or stereotypes. You know, I remember break, I remember break dancing and I remember seeing people on MTV, you oh. know, grabbing a piece of cardboard and spinning their heads so that it wouldn't be on, oh. on the cement. You know, and that was that was a whole thing. And and in my mind, it's like, oh, that was a, that was an urban thing. To, so to hear a rural guy from uh, North Carolina saying, hey, yeah, I was in, I was into that. And my world was opened up <laughs> by MTV to these things. It's just very kind of enlightening to me. And so I think that's great, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, I knew there was this movie called Beat Street and it was set in the Bronx, I believe. But. Uh, you know, I saw this at 12 and it was uh, set in the Bronx in New York City and it followed these kids who were in, uh, you know, dance gangs. But from that point on, I knew I wanted to move to New York, <laughs> you know, like the, the target changed from being a break dancer to being a musician. But just the, you know, like I just I've always had that drive or need to be in mm -hmm. a city, uh, you know, like the rural existence was not sure. for me. So, and I, you know, I would drive to Greensboro, which was 35 minutes from my house, just to be in a bigger city where there were other interesting kids doing interesting things. You know, I just always had um, an interest in other things than what I was given. Yeah, it's you interesting know? you say that because I remember um, I'm from Long Island, so, you know, it's all suburbia and, you know, you kind of think of it's a big town and, 
you look at New York City, and you don't, at least I didn't appreciate it until I was in my 30s about, you know, just just the cacophony of, of people and, and influences and art and you name it. It's, it's, it's at our fingertips. But until I met my roommate in college who came from a small town by Niagara, Niagara Falls, Niagara University, and he goes, I hate living in a small town. Everybody knows your business. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, it's not me, Mary RFD, where, you know, everyone gets along. <laughs> you know, and Gomer, Gomer sings not, opera and, you know, becomes a Marine. But, <laughs> but it's, it's, I find it also interesting about that influence of MTV and, and how it opened up the world for you. Because when I, I'm telling you, when I read your EPK and I, I read, you know, he was a punk musician for a while. I'm like, wait, that's got to be a typo. You know, because it just it it doesn't fit, man. It just you know it doesn't fit. But that's kind of cool, you know. Yeah, I think there are a lot of it. You know, uh, anybody worth their salt has experienced a few things, you know, and has it just been kind of in this one lane their whole life? Um, I, I know from a marketing point, you you know people get pigeonholed in different ways, and I think it's appropriate, sure. but. From a life experience, you know, we do a lot of different things to survive and to, to feed ourselves creatively. Right, right. Uh, you know, I've had my interest in a lot of, I've always loved pop music. I've always loved songwriting. I've always loved the craft uh, of that. You know, it's always been something I was interested in. Production. Um, yeah. Yeah, the, nut, the, the nuts and bolts of it, right, is, 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 is intriguing on, on how it comes how it comes together. Yeah. And I tell you for, so I'm sick, I'm 61 and I look around uh, people my age and there's a tendency to reminisce about the seventies music, or whatever you grew up with, which I think is fine. Uh, as long as you don't, that's the only thing you listen to. And for me, the epiphany for me later in life was hearing, we have uh, WFUV, the Fordham radio station, Great station. Yep. Excellent. Uh, uh, we have um, WUSB in Stony Brook that does all this original music, which mm-hmm. is rare, too. And then it just kind of opened up the world. I could hear Neil Young and Indigo Girls. I could hear, you know, First Aid Kit from, uh, you know, Norway or, or wherever yep. they're from. And it just kind of opened up. Uh, it made it interesting as I was trying to make, make myself interesting, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, no, that's that's a, a wise uh look at it as you know you're trying to make yourself interesting by being interested in things and growing and you need input you know like i grew up when you had to fight for it you had to buy zines you had to go to the record mm-hmm. stores uh you had friends who were cooler than you and you watched what they did and bought what they bought uh and then you had people who watched were watching what you were doing you know there's and i also was lucky to grow up by the time i was 18 19 Grunge was breaking. Um, the Chapel Hill music scene was huge. Indie labels was huge. You know, it was just like there was just this really great energy around DIY. Okay, yep. You know, just do it yourself. People starting their own clubs, people, uh, you know, booking shows, starting labels. Like that was always my mentality is like nobody's coming for you, nobody's coming to help you. Uh, just do it yourself. You know, I, I wish the money would have fallen from the sky at some point. Right. Um, but that was never the case. And in some ways it's fine, you know, because it, the process of figuring it out, I've learned is the real mm-hmm. joy, you know, of the whole thing. Yeah. 
Well, you know, you, you, bring up, you bring up a good point. If you think about in the old days, 50s and 60s, I mean, you know, the one hit wonders and you make it or break it. A band wasn't supposed to be together more than a year because that's just the way it was. And then it moved into, I almost equate it to Little League, you know, where everybody with DIY, everybody can have their own yep. sound studio. Look, I, I'm, I'm here in Babylon. I have a microphone and, and you know, I have a podcast, but... You can have a bat and a glove and a ball, and you can find people to play with, and then you can be heard eventually, uh, you know, whether yeah. you're gigging out, uh, going around gigging, or uh, I think the big fallacies, you know, you throw it on Spotify and, you know, the dollars are going to roll in and what have you, and, and you know, you get, I don't even figure they could split a penny that many times, but they can, you know, <laughs> can, uh, yeah. and do that. But then now the creative juices within musicians, you know, has a marketing flair or they have people that help them get marketing and they, they focus on their creativity and their art. But you do need somebody to get out there and uh, and help spread the gospel of what, what you're doing, you know? So let's... I mean, that's, that's the incredibly difficult part uh, for all indie artists um, at this point is the marketplace is saturated right. because more people than ever are doing it. Um we have this something that feels like a level playing field because we mm. can put our music on Spotify, but uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's a little bit of a placebo, you know, there's like a few people that break through and some, that's the carrot that keeps you involved. But, you know, a lot of us, we really have no equity or no uh, real kind of leverage or value in the marketplace to demand more money better and you know it's like if if you were getting played on the radio you would have leverage because you know they've tested you and they can sell advertising and people stay listening to your song right. you know that's how it works um beyond that you know we're there's a lot of us out here that are kind of a little bit misguided by uh what feels like a level playing field and really is interesting you know you're you're, you're really on the outside um you know, I, and I say it's like there are a lot of people who talk about being in the music business. And I'm like, I don't think you realize you're not even on the same block as the music business. <laughs> right. You know, like you just because you have um, a kitchen and bake cookies doesn't mean you're sh a chef. Right. You know, like. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so and that doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it or you shouldn't work towards it or any of those things. But it's really important to understand the ground you stand on you yeah. know, uh, and have goals that relate to well, that. You, you bring, I, I want to take a quick break, but you bring a unique perspective as we go through, um, you're in the music industry, uh, and, and you've, you've worked with people in the, in the music industry. So I'd really like to get that perspective from you on how that's defined today. Um, and what you've gone through, uh, mm -hmm. in the past couple of decades with it and how you moved from, you know, being a guy with a couple of turntables and a microphone to mixing sound for Hootie and the Blowfish, uh, where did it spring go off from there? So, look, hey, everybody. Yeah. We've got a lot to learn here. So uh, we're just going to take a quick break. <laughs> yeah, I'm putting pressure on you. Okay, Greg? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, you better. Is someone else. Yeah, you better produce. That's all I got to say. It's going to be a short podcast. All right, everybody hang in there. We'll be right back after this break. At the Long Island Sound, we're much more than a podcast. We're building a community. Please go to gigdestiny.com, check out all our social media links, 
Subscribe wherever you listen to the podcast. Please comment. Call the listener line. Tell us what you think, what questions we should ask, who we should have on the show. And most of all, we thank you for your generous support. And remember, support the artists who are guests on the show. Now back to the podcast. Hey, everybody. We're back with Gregory Dwayne, and he's allowed me to call him Greg because, you know, we met 15 minutes ago. Friends. We're friends now. We're friends. Yeah. (laughs) That means we can borrow money from each other. luck. <laughs> yeah, good luck with that, buddy. Right. <laughs> hey, so um, I, I really, by the way, uh, for everyone who's listening, I have chapter marks on everybody and anybody we're going to be talking about. So if you wanted more information of who we're talking about, about, you know, Gregory Duane website, that sort of thing is gregorydwanemusic.com. Please look him up, read his bio and background. It's just very, I just, man, it's just interesting. So Tell me, how did you go from that kid with the two turntables, and most people know what turntables are now, if they look up in the history books, mm-hmm. okay, to mixing sound for Hootie and the Blowfish, to <laughs> going around the world? How did that How the hell, well, how did that happen? Okay, so mixing sound for Hootie and the Blowfish is a bit like I worked at a club and they happened to play there. You know, it was like, it wasn't like I was there. You weren't besties. Okay. And this is before anybody even knew who Hootie and the Blowfish was. Like, this is early early on uh but they were they were great and you knew they were going somewhere um mm-hmm. you know, it's like in in hindsight you can see the bill i can see the building blocks but you know I, I wanted to do music i want i wanted to learn it wasn't as easy there were no youtube channels right. you know so you're kind of learning in the dark you watch someone else I, i'm a i'm autodidactic kind of learner so i watch and i uh Same mimic here. and i get better from that so uh, you know, I was doing sound, uh, I had, I had opened kind of an illegal club and we were having all kinds of bands and raves and stuff and, um, made a bunch of money, uh, doing that and basically woke up one morning and was like, I'm moving to New York. I gotta go. Right. You know, I kind of, I'd, I'd maxed out my life in Greensboro, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And so I, I basically moved back to my parents' house, started waiting tables and, uh, moved to New York. I knew one person and I moved into an empty room that she had and, uh, you know, the middle of winter. Wow. And I, I called, um, you know, back in the day, you, you could see like all the records I was listening to, there was like three, uh, three of them that all had the same recording studio on the back of the record. And, um, so I opened the phone book and called the studio and talked to the, the owner and just say, I'm willing to work for free. I want to learn how to do it can I come work for you? And he was like, sure, come on over. Really? So, wow. um, you know, within a few weeks of moving here, I was working at a really cool studio with like John Spencer blues explosion pavement recording there. I mean, just like this whole scene of cool people on 14th street in Manhattan. Uh, when, when the meat packing, there were still carcasses right. on the ground when you left in the morning, sure. you know, like it was actually meat packing. Um, but that opened the door to kind of to learning, you know, how to record people. Um, a few weeks after that, I ended up in a band. I answered a flyer and uh, ended up in a cool band. And we, you know, we recorded our my first real recording was a single that, you know, we put out hmm. uh, on a label from Chicago called Thrill Jockey. You know, that's a pretty big label. Um, so, you know, things 
there was just an energy at that time. You, you met people, you did things, you didn't let not knowing how to do it stop you. Right. You, you did it and you learned as you went. Um, so this is, this is when, give me a time frame. This is like early nineties, eighties, uh, 93, 93. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. 92, 93. Um, and then, uh, you know, randomly I met a girl at a record store and she introduced me to, um, this engineer producer because, People just did that. People right. were cool, you know? And um, so I ended up with a real job at a real recording studio um, called Shelter Island Sound. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden I was like surrounded by like next level gear. Hmm. The the owner had produced uh, Suzanne Vega's first couple of okay, records. Sure. Uh, and so he had this kind of singer songwriter scene where it would be like Sean Colvin, uh, Sean Colvin or Suzanne Vega or Kim Ritchie or, you know, John Leventhal would be working there. All these amazing, you know, kind of Americana singer songwriter. So I was getting that energy. Uh, I was assisting on with, you know, Kevin Kellen and all these amazing engineers that had worked on U2, you know, like, wow, it was just like I was in the middle of, you know, what a great apprenticeship, really, when you think about it. It's funny because you're a kid, so it doesn't really mean you're just you're like, yeah, I'm doing this, it, <laughs> you know, in hindsight, it's like wow, that was cool. You know, right. like that was a pretty bad thing. But so you soak all that up, you, that experience, you're watching, you're learning. And then I spent, uh, I, I produced a bunch of records for people. Mm-hmm. And then I, uh, I was in a band and so we toured a bit. Um, and, uh, and then I realized I just didn't want to be the studio life was pretty hard. Like all nighters, okay. you know, never seeing the sun. Oh, really? Um, and I wanted to, I wanted to play more. I wanted to write more. So by, and I had gotten, like, I, I left some of those jobs and I started engineering at a jingle company and I was freelance engineering and, you know, you, you do what, it's a hustle. Yeah. You're doing what, you know, you're working by the hour. Right. Uh, sometimes you get a break, you have a record and then you have three months that the phone doesn't ring. And so it's just this ebb and flow or you go on tour for a month and you come back and you have no apartment, you know, but you're young. So it's like, yeah, but you're, you're still in that survival mode of, you know, what's coming next when you're young, you don't worry as much, you know, cause you, you totally, you bounce, Hey, I'll bounce back. I can work. I can- bounce, Yeah, it's fine. You know, I always knew I had a couch in North Carolina if the, you know, if it all went to hell. Um, so yeah, I, I hustled that for many years. Um, and then, uh, yeah, what happened next? The, um, well, basically I kind of crashed and burned so that at the same time I had a little bit of a drinking problem. Okay. So that kind of led me to, uh, the bottom falling out in a weird, like one, the, uh, the business had changed. There was, you know, it's an interesting kind of parallel with now where it's like, there were all these people that worked in the magazine businesses in the nineties and they all had bands, you know, this is very general, but, right. and I was doing a lot of demos and thing, and that was kind of my bread and butter income. And then a lot of people got laid off in the late nineties working in the mag and, and like this, my whole demo business kind of disappeared. Gotcha. Um, and then, you know, you, you're hustling, you're doing things here, or there. And then by the time, uh, you know, 2001, 9-11 happened. And then that just like the world really stopped. Yep. And the world stopped. Like, who are we? What, what's real? What, what matters? So that kind of exacerbated 
you know, like my drinking, the kind of my end of being in New York. Mm. Um, I'd had a good run. Um, you know, there was so much good music that late nineties. Um, there was a great alt country scene. Um, you know, there's all these bar. It was, it was a very cool time to be in New York, just great sounds, great music. Um, but I ended up basically putting my tail between my legs and loading a van and moving back to North Carolina mm. at like 30. Um, you know, and I, I was there for a few days. Um, and I had had a friend who, uh, had been my band's manager, had worked for my band's manager. I happened to have this manager who her husband was also, um, Warren Haynes. Uh, she was Warren Haynes wife from okay. the Almond Brothers. Sure. I know Government Warren Haynes. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, like I would guitar tech for Warren, you know, it's just like strange stuff. Um, hmm. Uh, and again, in hindsight, so, um, but my friend had somehow, uh, gone from working in that management company to being a kind of a personal assistant for Alanis Morissette. Sure. Um, Oh, let me back it. Like, I'll just talk about the touring thing. Yeah. yeah. So I kind of, I, I, right before I left, I had, I started working at a rehearsal studio in New York, um, like SIR, you know, just like trying to make 10 bucks an hour, mm. you know, survive. And it was super cool because I met like really cool people uh, would rehearse there and everybody from Fog Hat to Miss Michelle and Degna Cello, like all these cool artists. And then one I ended up at this one place uh, and Joan Osborne was rehearsing. OK, so I was like running the session for her rehearsal and the keyboard player like looked back at me in the middle of rehearsal and was like, do you want to go to Japan next week? Uh, we're going to be there for two weeks. I'm like, yeah, um, <laughs> and this was just prior to nine, nine, 11. And, um, wow. so I ended up, you know, I hustle, got a passport, ended up becoming a guitar tech, um, to went to Japan, came back, did a month with them, um, uh, on tour. It was super fun because I was making money right. and I was kind of living, drinking for free. It was great. <laughs> um, uh, and then nine 11 happened and that wasn't, uh, you know, that life changing, as we said. Um, and, uh, so I, I saw an opportunity to kind of make money and be near music okay. and not have to engineer and do that hustle. I didn't really want to do anymore. And so I, one of the guys on that tour, you know, he connected me with the Bowie camp. Like there was a possibility I was going to go out with Bowie. There was a possibility I was going to go out with no doubt. Wow. Uh, and some, something happened and, uh, the, I decided to go with no doubt because they were doing a longer tour and they ended up not firing the person they were supposed to fire. <laughs> oh, geez. And uh, so they were very kind actually, and wrote me a check like, for you your know, troubles. We're sorry yeah. that, for my troubles. So I ended up using that money to move back to North Carolina and I was kind of like, you know, sad sack in North Carolina. <laughs> right. So I reached out to EJ and said, you know, if you guys have any openings, let me know. I'm doing this thing now. And it just so happened their keyboard guy was leaving. And so I, you know, within a f month I was in North Hollywood in a rehearsal space with Alanis Morissette, like doing that, you know? Oh, wow. And, and so that was, you know, it was, it was kind of like this strange, um, you know, uh, hitting bottom rock bottom, if you will, but also kind of bouncing high at the same, you know, like, <laughs> Things were going bad. I wasn't a musician anymore, but I was also making a living. And, you know, it was it was kind of a 
messy time, but uh, I was happy about it. So I ended up living in L.A. And uh, one of the girls who worked for Alanis uh, worked for Jane's Addiction. So then I ended up being Dave Navarro's guitar tech Mm -hmm. and working with Macy Gray and, you know, just, and, and then at around that same time, I ended up getting in a band that was pretty LA famous. Uh, I was playing bass in a band that was, you know, big on KCRW and Mm -hmm. so, uh, and signed to Sony. And so I started playing with them and was going in between, you know, playing music and hustling, being a, a guitar tech for money. And, you know, it was kind of a great time. I had no responsibilities other than myself and, I was playing music and um, kind of starting over. I had gotten sober in that time. So, mm-hmm. you know, everything felt very fresh and different. Um, and that, uh, I, I got to ask you something about, well, one thing that's apparent to me is you know how to network, whether, whether you take credit for it or not, or just being at the right, <laughs> it's never just being in the right place know. at the right time, but it sounds like, like these different lifelines and things popped up that I just find, man, you can write a great book. I think it's just fun and very intriguing. Yeah. I mean, it's hard, you know, it's hard to have perspective on your own life and, mm. but I don't feel like a good networker, but if you laid it out, it was like, well, I did know, I just feel like that was part of how it was then. Right. And just doesn't feel the same now as that, that you just knew people. And if you were cool and like generally a nice person, you know, people would open doors for you because, right. you know, yeah, you had something to offer them as well, you know? Sure, um, sure. So let me ask you this, if you don't mind talking about it. So I would think getting sober in, in the music business and being on the road or being a musician is, 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 has its, has its challenges. And, um, you know, you had a new life, lease on life, I would assume, you know? Yeah. Well, strangely, the, how I got sober was working for James addiction because, uh, one of the person um, in that band is sober and had part of his crew were all sober. Oh, so I okay. went from not really knowing what, like I knew what AA was, you know, not, not this is going to be a turn into a um, thing, but mm-hmm. like I knew it, uh, but I, I had never really even, even when I thought I had a problem, I never thought about AA as a possibility. Mm-hmm. So, um, but then, you know, these people, kind of they can you know you can see an alcoholic from a mile away not that you're judging people but you know they they were like hey why don't you come with us one night and they took me to a meeting and it was kind of like you know it was up like i i saw everything i needed to see mm-hmm. i heard everything i'd been waiting to hear i saw really cool people there like bona fide rock stars. Wow. Like it, i needed to see that i needed to feel that and feel that you could still be an artist, a musician, interesting, you know, all these things successful and not need, you know, anything from the neck up to right. make you different, you know? Correct. Correct. And that, that opened the door for me, um, to get sober. And like I said, it was just a whole new, new lease on life. I met amazing people through that, uh, people that changed my life in other ways later on. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, it was so that moved pretty quick. And then within about a year and a half, two years, I uh, had met this person and, and uh, she got pregnant pretty quick, I'll say. Okay. <laughs> so I went I went from, you know, kind of being the guy in a band doing things to um, 
having a, a newborn, wow. you know, at 30, at 33 years old. And that was pretty uh, life changing, you know, because it, it I made a decision I was going to, you know, be a father and like show up and not tour and hmm. you know, change my life. So I had to figure out what my new kind of what am I doing now, you know, right. Um, and again, luckily, I, you know, one of my friends um, was pretty successful at writing music for TV commercials. And he was very kind and like introed me to that world. Hmm. Um, the jingle world, basically. The jingle world. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, and he went on to become Mikey Fitz of the Fitz and Tan- Fitz and the Tantrums. Do you know that band? Um, you know, they're a top 40 band. Okay. Like, uh, you know, they're a huge, huge band. Um, but he, he was very successful writing jingles and I, um, had to figure it out. I had to buy gear. I had to like put together a home studio, uh, kind of learn how to do it because right. it's a different, it's a different brain than writing songs. But pretty quickly I had a, um, I got a, offered a job as a, um, as a staff engineer at a company, you know? So I was, I was, I had found a new place where I could still make a living with a guitar, right? Uh, but be home, you know, wow. raise my kids. That's a real blessing, kind of really, be, when you think about it. I mean, I mean, it was huge. Um, so I did that for almost 15 years, uh, mm. you know, kind of writing a song a day, if you will, like, like popping out ice cream turning, cones, really. Yeah, just churning out music. Uh, I learned so much from, you know, one. I just became a better writer. I, I became, I learned how to write without waiting for the muse. You okay. Know, like, Interesting. You know, um, that, you know, there are lots of tricks you can do to get that thing going. Okay. I learned those tricks. I learned how to be a better engineer, how to mix, you know, it just, you just, it's like the 10,000 hours thing. You just, you do it right every day. And you accumulate some knowledge, you know. Uh, you get those muscles, the brain muscles going in those directions and you turn it on, I guess, right? It, that's what it sounds like. It's not, yeah. I mean, I don't know that I could. That's the thing about music and engineering and uh, even painting or those things. Uh, like you can take a class, you can watch a YouTube video. But the thing that makes them so equitable is that you have to just sit down and do it. Mm -hmm. And the only way you get better is to sit down and do it, whether it's painting, writing songs. And if you're willing to do that, you can excel. Um, You know, beyond that, distributing that is another thing. Another Megilla. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But, you know, you, you can't help but get better if you do it. So I learned a lot, but it also burnt me out. So that's, that led me to, doing it for a long time, being fairly successful at it. And then, uh, waking up one day and being like, I don't even, you know, like these, I don't even know. I haven't listened to a, a record in years. You know, I listen to talk radio, like, right. It's funny when you make a thing, your job, it becomes your job, you know? And sometimes the last thing you want to do is turn on the radio, you know? Yeah, <laughs> or yeah, like, I know. I, you know, I used to travel a lot for business and the last thing you wanted to do when you came home was go somewhere on the weekend. Cause you're like, right. cause it's just like, I'm so disconnected from community. I just want to sit my ass down and, you know, kind of veg out for a while, you know? Yeah. Hey, let's, let's, let's do this. Let's switch gears a little bit. Tell me about yep. the song that our audience got to hear when you say California. Um, just as an aside, and I won't get into details. I listened to this song. 
uh, today, and it was just very timely with what happened uh, in my life today. And it just, it's just kind of, uh, and we shared this earlier off, um, off the podcast, it really kind of struck my heart strings in that I'm really enamored by singer songwriters. If you haven't guessed this already with the podcast, <laughs> but you're able to emote and put things into words and song that, that just, oh God, it's like, Oh my God, this guy must've been listening in when I had the argument. <laughs> you know. Anyway, tell me when you, when you say California, tell me a little bit about, about that. Thank you for the kind words. Sure. I mean, you That's, know, they're true. So. It's easy. At the end of the day, that's the that's the reward, right? Is that you've you've expressed something that someone else can identify with. Um, mm. uh, and, you know, it's not easy. You don't always land or, uh, you know, you never know what lands. Right. Um, you don't know where the seeds have, are falling. Right. Yeah. You don't know where the seeds are falling and you just have to be honest and hope that, you know, your view of the world, um, you know, connects uh, and. And, and I've had enough feedback that I, I do hear that from different songs, from different people at different times. And, and it's super rewarding. Um, mm. that, you know, that song, you know, I've always wanted to be a songwriter since I was a kid. I used to collect the, what's his name? Peter Zollo book, you know, like songwriters on songwriting. Like I just, but I, there was always this kind of wall that I couldn't break through. Like I could write an instrumental, but just like writing a real song felt, uh, like it was on the other side of the wall. Right. right you know, I just okay. couldn't finish it. What well, you know, whatever it was, it was always a thing. Some, you know, some of it's my own self-esteem or maybe just not believing in, in what I had to offer. Um, but after um I know you want to talk about that. No, song no, 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 it's, this is all good. It does tie in because it um, you know, like I was getting to earlier, I, I had hit a point where I quit music altogether. I quit my job. I um, got burnt I out. Stopped. This is the yeah. burnout, right? Yeah. I stopped for almost five years, became a painter. I still needed something creative. So I started painting. I had a good, I always had a guitar. I always had a setup because I could still sell music, but I wasn't doing it every day. And, you know, I, I always, I, I've, you know, I'm a, I'm a creative, so I collect ideas. And so mm -hmm. I'm always playing with ideas. And even though it wasn't my thing and, and months could go by and I wouldn't touch guitar. Um, but you know, uh, around 2019, uh, 18, 19, I started toying with it again, you know, like playing more, thinking I wanted to do a record. I, I kind of started two records with two different producers that didn't go anywhere. Um, but part of that process was dredging up some old ideas mm -hmm. and, one of the songs, one of the ideas was that phrase, when you say California, which someone had said to me at an audition I was at in like 1996. And I had written it in a book. I tried to write that song maybe 10 different times over 20 years. Like um, it had different versions. But this time I finally, you know, it was kind of like the... Um, it was the, you know, the thing that started the flood, if you will. Like mm. I was able to, to follow that idea through, you know, this idea that was 20 some years old. Uh, I was able to create a narrative uh, you know, based on some real stuff, based on some made up stuff and finish a song that I thought sounded like a song, you know, yeah, um, right. that I was proud of. Um, and, you know, it, it was the thing that just, 
I was like, oh, I can do this. I don't know what's different yes today than yesterday, but I'm ready, you know? And that just, that turned into writing the next song, into writing five songs, into booking some studio time. Like, I didn't really know what was happening, but I knew it felt good to be back in this familiar, uh, you know, suit, whatever, you right, know, right. have familiar glove, familiar whatever jacket on of music. You know, it's like, oh, I have loved this thing my entire life. Of course, this feels good, you know. Uh, so it, it, I was reignited and the songs kept coming and the ability to finish them kept coming. And I kind of got like with anything, the more you do it, the more you are in the creative moment, the more uh, you finish, you know, follow things through. Um, and the thing I had really learned, you know, taking the five years to paint, mm-hmm. I learned a lot about process Okay, from painting and just about like finishing things. Perfect is a myth. Like just finish it. You know, 80% is good enough. Right. Nobody knows, you know, what, um, what you didn't do in the painting, what you didn't do or what you think is wrong. You know, like there's always, you know, you talk to painters, they're always unhappy with their finished works that you think is the masterpiece. Right. You know, right. so once you can process that and just finish it, you know, um, even if it's a placeholder, sometimes your placeholder idea becomes your favorite idea, you know, like, um, so I, I had learned a lot about process from painting and applied that to music. And it, uh, has literally been life-changing for me. You know, you so, know, you know what I find unique about that story uh, of going into uh, the valise, so to speak, and, and digging up, you know, what you, what you've worked on a long time ago, obviously now you're, di- you've created, you've, you're creative and you have a skill set that you've honed and honed and honed. So those pathways, those neural pathways are there. Right. Yeah. And, but you're a different person now. I almost equate it to either hearing scripture or a story and yeah, I've heard that story before, but someone enlightened me and said, yeah, but you're hearing it as a different person than when you first heard it. And, totally. it, and it's going to play a different role uh, in your life. And what's good about creatives like yourself and singer songwriters, you, when you have that opportunity to act on it, you do, uh, which enriches the world and really kind of heals the world, which is, is really just a great a great thing in my opinion. So it's really, it's <laughs> yeah, like, we're going, I agree. It's like we're going through therapy. This is great. I should charge. <laughs> I should charge for this. It is. I should charge you. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're right. You uh, should charge me. <laughs> uh, uh, it's, it's totally true. It's um, you know, the just for me uh, song, being a songwriter, you have to have something to say, right. you know, it doesn't have to be much, but you have to have something to say. And I think for the longest time, I didn't really know who I was or what I wanted to say or that I thought anything I was going to say was uh, anybody would listen. You know, I think some kids are born with their finger, you know, in the wind and they can write and they have these brilliant things. You know, you take anybody who was amazing by the time they were 24. That was not my path. Um, (laughs) I'm right with you, brother. And I'm fine. You know, I feel lucky that I'm 51 and, um, and love what I'm doing and love, you know, still love the thing and and love being creative and love writing songs and love looking for people to write with and work with and 
I mean, it's, it's so like, how great, you know? You know, what's interesting too, to me is in hearing your story and hearing about getting burnt out, you know, making the ice cream cones of the jingles and and doing what the right thing to do when you were, uh, you became a father. Uh, it's very great. Um, that could have been a dead end for anybody else's story. Hey, you know what? He got burned out and now he's gone because he, that was it. But for some reason you had these different turns or different outlets, um, as a creative person, you have that drive to say something, paint something, create. If that's that creation thing, in my opinion, the ability to create that you found, boom, you found a left turn and you found a different outlet for it um, to express yourself. And then you learned a new process, which I think is a great uh, lesson for a lot of us, you know, um, whether you're a poet or you've dabbled with sketching or stuff like that. And you take that turn and say, I still want to be creative, but let me try this now. Let me, you know, uh, and I, the other thing that in what I'm hearing from you is, you know what, I'm an artist. It's never perfect, but it's worth putting out there. It's worth yeah. being heard. And that's what people I'm, I'm preaching to myself right now. That's what you need to hear. You need to hear that saying, yeah, you know what? It's going to mean something to somebody. I may never know. You know, but in that one in 10,000, it comes back to me like myself with you today and said, yeah. you know, what? that kind of that kind of struck me. Uh, and it was it's a sad song, you know, but it was just like, man, that's that's the way I'm feeling right now. Hey, let's- well, in many ways, what you're describing is the icing on top of the icing. For me, it's hmm. finishing like as an artist, you kind of like things don't exist until they're finished. And in some ways, they don't really exist until they're shared right you know and you need to finish things to get to the next thing because if you just keep piling up these half finished ideas i mean you can't let go right you know? oh, yeah. like it, it becomes it becomes it, luggage on on top of your a yoke on your yeah, shoulders right right so for me it's like finishing uh, you know, it's not that i you know being a good editor is also important mm. so it's not that i release everything i do but the things that I think fit and make, a, you know, a cohesive record or a cohesive EP, I put in the world and that allows me to kind of open new space, you know. Um, cool. So and just getting ideas and, you know, it's a weird world now. You can rewrite something. You could pull it off of Spotify and remix. You know, there's there's no rules anymore. Mm. Um, you know, you, there's just there's just no reason you can't do anything or change something later if you feel like you've bettered it, you know, right. in some way. Right. Do um, do a Taylor Swift and re-record it, and uh, yeah, yeah. But then, uh, the, like I said, the icing on the icing is that what you're actually doing is connecting with people, right. which is kind of the next level. Uh, you kind of, you know, sometimes as an artist, you have to forget about that next level to get level one done, and then once you've done level one and finish 10 songs, 20 songs, you can go to level two and start figuring out how to market it and get it in front of people uh, for that uh, part of art, which is connecting with other humans. Right, right. You know? Exactly. So let's talk about this. I really want to jump into the next song. Uh, this ain't no drinking song. Is that, is that the title? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <Which is- laughs> Appropriate for what we what we've. <laughs> no, no, Just- it's actually a good, it's a good setup. <laughs> And we didn't pre-plan. This is not scripted by any means, as everybody knows. So um, tell me a little bit about that, and then we'll jump into the song for everybody and then come back after it. Well, it's kind of, I mean, it's an obvious response, I feel like, to um, 
you know, if you listen to country radio for 10 minutes, you feel like every song has the solution in every song for a problem is a margarita or a shot or yeah. grab a beer. Like, you know, it's a trope and it, it works on some level, but you know, as a sober person, sometimes you're like, that doesn't really work for me. And I like country music, but I, you know, I maybe need something else. Um, and so I just, uh, you know, I had this riff that was floating around and, you know, one day the, this ain't a drinking song came out and it just felt like, Oh yeah, this is the song I need to write is a response to some Luke Bryan song or some you nice. know random drinking song. Um, and it, it was just a fun thing that happened. You know? <laughs> That's great. Uh, All right. Let's let everybody take a gander of this ain't no drinking song. We'll be right back after it. Say goodbye. I'm a game full of broken men. Freedom and enjoyment. 
And I, you know what? It's true. That song, this ain't no drinking song. It's a a great reply. I I really enjoyed it. So um, just to tell our audience, by the way, we're going to give links to all of Greg's uh, music, uh, to his uh, Spotify list, his playlist, his TikTok, all his social media. You'll see in the chapter marks in several places. So really YouTube, don't forget YouTube. Yeah, YouTube YouTube as well. Yeah, I just started growing my YouTube channel. I got to get over the brink to eventually – Uh, do some live streams, although I have a face for radio, so you know, it'll <laughs> <laughs> be fine. Yeah. A little makeup, a little dab here and there, and you know, I'm going to keep the white hair though. I think it's you know, I look noble <laughs> at first glance. Yeah. You look like you know what you're I talking know. about. Pretty good, huh? <laughs> Fake it till you make it. <laughs> so, so yeah, you have this EP out. Tell us about the EP. What you've got going on in your life? Very interested. Yeah, so I, I uh, worked on the EP. I'm trying, you know, I'm pushing the boundaries a little bit from what my first record was uh, sonically, trying some new things, um, uh, trying some different song type of writing. Mm-hmm. Um, I always feel like EPs are good places you can kind of experiment a little more. Um, you know, not that it matters or anybody cares, but this is just, you know, the the me that loves albums and loves, you know, what a, a, a well-sequenced put together sure. album sounds like. And, you know, EPs were always more experimental, I thought, um, typically. So uh, I think there's four or five songs on there. And I did a cover of Everybody Wants to Rule the World. Oh, yes, I uh, saw that. By, I saw the video of uh, that. Yeah. Yeah, that one, that, that song did pretty well uh, at radio and, uh, and streaming, um, as covers do generally with Spotify. So let me, um, that let was me ask you fun. this: How do you, how does it work when you when you cover a song and then it's you know your song your covers on Spotify? What's the legalisms between you and the the original artist when it comes to that? Well, they have to be credited and they have to get paid, but um, it's called a, a compulsory license, which means that an artist can never say no to a cover. Oh, really? You, anybody can cover any. Yeah, it's, it's called a compulsory license. But if you're making money from it, they have to be credited. And uh, so I, I license. You have to go through certain companies to basically get the license, the compulsory license uh, that associates your version with that. Those writers. Uh, I use this company called Harry Fox, but I think there's a few different ways. Um, but yeah, that's how covers. Yeah, work. is it work? Can, is it divvied up through BMI or? or... Yeah, yeah. It's just uh, whatever. There's, let's be honest, there's nothing, there's not, there's pennies, micro pennies -pennies, coming in. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) So, but yes, uh, whoever their PRO is uh, would receive their piece. You know, I own the master. So if it was, uh, if someone wanted to license it, they would have to buy the publishing from Tears for Fears and then they would buy my master recording. Um, But, yeah. All right. So, you know, you just standard. opened up a door. I can do all the covers I want now and make micro pennies. So that's, you I got that going. You can do now. all the, <laughs> yes. Probably even when you get a micro penny, a micro micro penny would probably come out of it. Anyway, thanks a lot. Cause I, you're my biggest guru in the, in the music industry. So, so you're going to, you know, well, we're going to spend a lot of time talking outside of the podcast. So that was part of okay. your commitment when you signed up for the podcast. I don't, 
right. apparently right. he didn't, we he didn't read the fine print. So, you know, I got that going for me <laughs> as well. So, so, I, so for the, for the ignoramus in me, there's the album. And by the way, I'm, of the, I'm cut from the same stone because I still remember when I was a kid stealing my sister's albums out of her locked bedroom and just, you know, playing side by side every song. Just, just you, you got it into your, your brain. And there's just something about opening up an album cover and reading the lyrics that aren't too small compared to a CD or, or even seeing it streaming. It's just something to good to digest the lyrics, you know, I, that, that was a time gone by, you know? I think it's, I mean, as an artist, uh, you know, it's a way to make a statement and for people to get a fuller picture, if you will, you know, it's, it's hard to figure out who someone is just by a single, I think, you know, um, uh, because sometimes singles are meant to be catchy in a way that isn't representative of the artist at, at large, you know, um, you know, and, you know, it's, it's, and al- albums are strange because they were kind of a marketing ploy put together by, you know, Ahmet Erdogan, mm. uh, you know, Atlantic Records to figure out how to sell, make more money instead of just selling singles. But, you know, people rose to the occasion in the 60s and 70s and made these seminal works on albums. And now the idea of an album not being a thing just seems um, crazy right, sure. to me. So, um I, you know, I, I just like statements. I like putting together cohesive statements, whether it's an EP or an album. I'm sure I will do singles uh, because, you know, that's the modern world where you keep your name in the conversation. Right. Bringing, by it, bringing it to the front burner for people, right, to to see what the latest, particularly when they're following you, I would assume, on social media. Hey, this is this is what I got to talk about today. As opposed to waiting yeah. a year and a half potentially to say, oh, yeah, I remember. I remember Gregory Dwayne. Yeah, you know. I just, I don't think you can do that any, I mean, I had my first record and pretty quickly I was able to do an EP and last year I wrote a Christmas EP that I didn't finish. So I'm going to release that for Christmas this year. I wrote two original songs and uh, did a cover of um, the Mariah Carey Christmas song and kind of an Americana way. Um, uh, So, you know, and then first quarter of next year, I have a new record coming out. So I'm, at the moment, I, I have a lot of material and have been uh, prolific the wrong word. Or I don't want to really use that word, but I've, I've been able to write a lot of material and, and I can record and produce myself. So it takes some of the pain. Um, you know, I'm able to produce things pretty quickly um, mm-hmm. and stay on some kind of a course that I'm releasing material. Um, let me ask. And then I'm. Let me, I'm sorry. Yeah, cut go you ahead. Off. Let me ask you this. How does. Your, what's your opinion about the music video and how that plays a role in 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 marketing um, your music? It's got to be a hell of an expense, certainly. Yeah, I mean, you know, the first record I spent money and hired a friend and did videos. The second, the EP, I shot all those videos on an iPhone by myself with a tripod, riding around Connecticut. Like I learned how to. I learned how to edit. I just, I just wanted to do it myself. I didn't want to spend a ton of right. money. And in some ways those, those videos are a little more me, you know, they're a little more authentic, uh, authentic. Uh, that's all right. Authentic. I can't even say it. Authentic. Yes. Um, yes, that word. Uh, so, you know, I do really believe in authorship. Like the more you have your hand in things and, and this can, you can get yourself in trouble where you're doing too much right. and, it all suffers. Mm-hmm. 
But I think if you have the energy and the more you can be part of, you know, these creative ideas, uh, whether it's producing your own music or making your own videos or creating, uh, and, and to your question, you know, I think the video is important in one way, but in some ways, short form content is everything. Yeah. But the long form video is you can chop it down, right. you know, make things. Um, TikTok is its own beast because it, it just functions so differently mm-hmm. than YouTube or Instagram or um, it, it's a, just a different beast uh, and requires different content. It's, it's, um, it's almost you're producing a video for somebody who has ADD. Seriously, because you have to grab them in, in seven seconds is what I'm told. Well, you have to grab, but uh, the more produced it is, the less it will do well. Oh. Like uh, TikTok is about, again, authenticity. And the more it's just you talking about something and, and having hooks and all these things are important to get people in. But uh, authenticity is king on TikTok. Oh, um, I got that nailed down. Uh, yeah, to, well, that I mean, your format would actually work quite well. Um, I I do think, but anyways, uh, I, I do believe in the video. I, I believe in you know, I, I believe in being creative. And if you have a creative idea, see right. It through. Question for you: I watched one of your videos, and there are childhood uh, movies that are played on the guitar. And interest is that you? Yeah, that's, that's all, all uh, home video <laughs> as a kid. Oh, that is yeah. cool. That. <laughs> yeah. Talk about, and we did not script this. Talk about authenticity. I, you know, I'm wondering that as yeah. you're you're singing about. I forgot which song it was. Um, it's a song called "It's Fucked Up," which is about kind of coming to realization that uh, it's no matter what your family or it, people may have done to you, uh, it is your job to let it go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that, you know, it's fucked up that it's, you know, these things are done to you as a child, but you have to grow up and be the person who does most of the healing and you let it go and move on and the best that you can. Sometimes you still talk to that person. Sometimes you don't. You have to make those choices as an adult, but it's a fucked up process. <laughs> well, what, what, I'll give you some feedback because what as I was listening to the song and watching the video, like I, I'm imagining what happened to this kid. Okay. I'm not going to give anything away, but it kept, I'm like waiting for the other shoe to drop about, you know, <laughs> about this kid who I, he's right yeah, here. He's right in front <laughs> of me and, and you don't have blonde hair anymore. Cause something happened there. Um, no. But no. anyway, just to give you feedback, that's the, the, the kernel of uh, interest that drew me in to listen more intently, even though I'm watching a video. So. For, for what that's yeah. worth. And you got to look at my TikTok videos. I want your professional opinion. Um, we'll talk unless about it's that. really lousy and I can't take it because I'm thin skinned, then don't call me back. But um. <laughs> same. <laughs> Only say nice things or say yeah, nothing. No, about. I didn't say any of the crappy uh, things about your songs, you know, in the introduction. Because so there's no, because there are no crappy things about Greg's no. music. It's very kind of you, my friend. <laughs> hey, let's talk about this. Let's go into the third song that you brought to the table for us, Kill the Pain. Tell me a little bit about that, and I want my um, our audience to hear it. Yeah, that was a more uh, what I felt a traditional country song. I definitely had this one particular songwriter in mind. Uh, his name's Jerry Foster, uh, who, you know, 75 number one hits, 500 single, wow. you know, just a legend, a uh, songwriter. And, uh, you know, 
sometimes you just have a certain kind of person in or song or songwriter in your mind. And then you use that as a jumping off point and what comes out isn't that it's mm-hmm. different, it, you know, uh, but that's how kill the pain came out. So it's a much more traditional song about drinking, you know, drinking yourself to death. Oh, um, so this is a drinking which, song. Which okay. is, <laughs> it actually, that one actually is a drinking song. Um, I'm, I'm so contradictory. Um, but then, you know, strangely as life has it, uh, I was in Nashville and, playing a writer's round and ended up meeting Jerry oh. Foster. He happened to be playing the same round as me. He's in his eighties. Now he's just the most charming mm. human you've ever met. And, you know, was really generous with his time and told me lots of stories about uh, being in New York in the sixties. And you know, there's a lot of songwriting in the sixties for Nashville that was being done in New York, mm. strangely. Um, so anyways, it, it was very cool. It was kind of full circle. So, I'm proud of that song. Um, is he still around today? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's still, yeah, he's still next, around. Next, next guest on the Long Island Sound, that's what I'm saying. I'm sure he would really? love it. No, that'd um, be nice. He's, he's, oh, my gosh, he's a character. Um, yeah. Cool. All right, so let's listen to yeah. Kill the Pain, and we'll be right back after the song. Check it out, everyone. You were here, but now you've gone. How am I to continue on? Guess I'll be drinking until my heart turns blue. Yeah, I'll be telling the mother.
Hey, everybody, we're back. And I, I got to tell you something, Greg, in looking at your background and the diversity of what you've done, and I equate, you know, I always, I do this all the time. I equate, oh, he's just like my friend, Mike. And, uh, and, and Mike is uh, Mike Nugent, who I talk about a lot. He's the first guy I had on the podcast. He was in Cadillac Moon, just humble, phenomenal player, great guy. Um, and so Mike, Mike plays all around. He, he's like gig crazy. You know, everybody likes Mike. He has spice to everything. But I found out that Mike is also a producer, that he works with a lot of the local artists here. Uh, uh, in the Long Island area. And I was like, wow, that's that's really cool how he does it. And he, he mixes everything together. So I understand you do producing. So how does that fit into everything that you're doing? Yeah, well, once I put the songwriter hat back on and started making music again, um, you know, it's not long before you, you're like, oh, I would like to work with other artists again. And, you know, I have a history, like I produced a couple records for Amy Ray, the Indigo Girls, and I produced some uh, punk bands, uh, indie punk bands back in the day. And um, so it's not foreign to me, but I just, uh, you know, I wasn't sure I wanted to go there, but I, I ended up building a studio at a house I have in Connecticut um, in a garage. And, um, and I, I've been traveling to Nashville a lot. So I've, I've made some friends down there and, um, um, and made some friends in New York and, and, so I'm going to, I'm starting producing again. So I have a record I'm starting in uh, February with this really great artist, uh, Jake Newman from Nashville. It's a great songwriter. Um, he's coming up and we're doing that with uh, some great musicians from upstate New York that play with Steve Earle oh, yeah, and Little sure. Feet. Like it's going to be a real, you know, it's going to be a real barn burner um, at my, all at my studio. So, you know, I can keep costs low. I can, just, you know, they could stay at my house there. Like it's just nice, a vibe, nice. you know? Um, and then I'm working with another artist and we're doing it from the ground up. So we're songwriting and then going to go into the studio and do an EP. Um, so uh, yeah, I'm just looking for those kind of projects um, just for the future. Sure. You know, I'm, I'm, I feel super inspired and uh, capable uh, in a way that I haven't felt in quite a while. So it's, uh, I'm excited you know what, about there's, it. There's that aspect of, you know, and I've asked this question of artists before, Hey, are you a sole practitioner? Or are you collaborative in mindset? Some are really, Hey, you know, no, it's me and it's everything me and that's fine. But now, now you're kind of showing me a different aspect of yourself where, you know what, there's this different sense of collaboration and creativity in the production of, of what you're, what you're putting together. And, uh, I saw this with other people where, you know, hey, I know a guy who's going to be a great percussionist on this, or we're going to pull this slide guitar player, um, so on and so forth. Um, it's really interesting how people interconnect, and especially when you're in New York. It just still blows my mind. If, you know, I know I know this guy, Brother Dave, great slide guitar player. He's from uh, Bushwick, Brooklyn, <laughs> and he's and he's a <laughs> right. child of Russian immigrants, and he's he's phenomenal. You know, stuff like that. It's just like, it's just, it just amaze, it, it shouldn't amaze me anymore of all the great artists that we have. And when you're in a metropolitan area, and I could see why you were drawn to New York is, you know, just the capacity of number of people. And what I, and I'm going to say this too, and I hope you don't mind me saying this, is I found it interesting that you came from a very rural area where my assumption would be, you know, a limited amount of people 
and you're kind of confined by that. And then when you come to New York, and that's where I think your networking skills, you know, because you're finding more, you know, I always just like to meet people, you know, uh, and and yeah. if you sow the seeds of goodwill and and are transparent to people, and, and I, I'm learning this late in life, uh, like we are today, you and I being present to each other. Uh, there's so many, you know, we could talk for 14 hours, uh, and, and still find things to talk about, I hope. Um, so, uh, <laughs> yes. but, uh, Hey, look, you know, Greg, I, um, I thank you so much for your time. I end a lot of my podcasts this way. Cause I really, uh, I really feel this way. You never know how much time you have on this earth. You know what you have in the bank, what you own. You don't know the other part of it. And you gave me your, and you gave very me true. your time. And that's very valuable to me. So I, I want to thank you for that. I appreciate it. Likewise. So, uh, Gregory Dwayne, go to all his links <laughs> and man, I'm going to have you back if you're open to it. Cause I, you know, once you come out with the Christmas stuff and, uh, <laughs> I really enjoyed it. Thanks so much for right, the conversation. Bro. Be well. All right. Take care. Thank you for joining us today. I appreciate the time you spent with us. Please subscribe and comment and visit us at gigdestiny.com. Till next time, be generous with your joy, keep your spirits high, and let the music take you on a journey. Be well. Peace. Thanks so much for listening. Please rate, review, and comment on the show. We really love to hear from you. And call our listener line at 631-800-3579. Again, thanks so much. Be well.